Anybody ready to have some fun? Yeah. Roman, all the way in the back. You, your name, your smile says fun all over it. All right, you guys ready? Hey, I don't care if it's rainy outside today. Let's come on. We're up in the game. You guys with me? We're up in the game. Hey, did Terry Wong do good last Sunday or what? The guy's crazy. The guy's wild. The guy's awesome. And, uh, and if you can play checkers for Jesus or chess for Jesus, how many of you know God can use whatever it is that's in you to change people's lives? And I'm just telling you all, God's calling us into the game. All y'all, God's calling you into the game. Calling us to be busy, calling us to love people, calling us to touch people. This is not that complicated. I'm wrapping up the Hebrew Maker series today. Some of you are going, thank God. No, you better not be saying thank God. I hope you got something out of this. Not just like, oh, that was a nice message. No, I hope you're ripping open your shirt and there's a Hero Maker just like on the screen there. All right, that's what I'm going after. There's a Hero Maker hidden inside of you. Uh, and you're committed to loving people, touching people, blessing people, giving your life away to other people. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Come on. I'm talking about being the church. I'm talking about Tom. I'm talking about getting in the stinking game. You know what I'm talking about because you got it. All right. I'm talking about getting in the game and making sure we don't miss out on what God's called us to do. Let me... Um, let me highlight where we've been, and I want this, this should jog your memory. If you're brand new here today, I'm going to give you a crash course on where we've been the last eight weeks, but, but it's, it's, it's simple. And I'm talking about a culture of hero-making today, because how many of you know we don't want to just preach about things, we want to embody what we're talking about. And I want this hero-making stuff to get in us. In fact, I would love us to use the phrase hero-making in the way we talk about how we do ministry one to another. Uh, that that becomes part of our nomenclature here because we understand what that means. It's about investing in somebody else's life and seeing them become all that Christ has called them to be. And so we talked about five essential practices over the last eight weeks. First one we talked about was multiplication thinking. This is a shift in the way we think, and, it, and here's the big shift. It's not about me. Everybody say that with me. It's not about me. Say it again. It's not about, say it one more time. Okay, we just got to say that over and over again, because most of our problems in life come because it's still all about me, and we're the center of our world, and we're miserable because you were never meant to be the center of your world, and so there's an incredible shift when you realize God does not exist to make me happy. I exist to bring him glory, and when you make that shift, you're as happy as you can possibly be, so don't make it about you. Shift your thinking and begin to realize that the things God's put in you are to be given away to other people. It's about developing the gifts in other people's lives. It's not about me. It's really more about he and we, not me, all right? Point number two, this was important, permission giving. This involves a shift we said in seeing. So how about this? Most of the time we come, what does church have for me? What am I going to learn from me? How do I discover my gifts? How do I use my gifts? But permission giving means this. Everybody's serving somewhere, because how many know you all have something to give? And in the process of serving, you're looking for the treasure in the people next to you. How many of you know there's no normal people sitting next to you? Let me clarify. I don't mean you're abnormal. I just mean that the people in this room are very, very precious. Jesus died for everybody in this room. The Holy Spirit has put gifts in everybody in this room. How many of you know there's no normal people? just special people, very special people, which is why the Lord says treat each other nicely. 
because there's no normal people. There's only incredibly gifted, precious people sitting in this room. And so what we do, and this is the fun part, is we get to look at other people and see the treasure that's deposited in them. How I many you know my dad preached for years in marriage class? Husbands, he'd get on us, right? Guys, look for the pearl inside your wife. What was that all about? He's saying there's a treasure in your wife, and it's our job as husbands is to find that treasure treasure, and to honor that, that treasure, to dig out, be, be treasure hunters, all right? All right, so we're going to be permission granters. We're going to change the way we see and make our focus on the people that are around us. Third thing we're going to do is we're going to be disciple multipliers, which means we're going to have a shift in what we share. And I shared this, boy, this is so good. This is not a church where we want to just share information. Sometimes churches are like teaching centers, and you go there and you go, man, that was a great message. Man, I learned so much. Oh, that, that church does such a great job teaching the Bible. Praise God. I'm, but how many of you know that's half of it? The Apostle Paul said this, I, 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 do not, I not only teach you the gospel, I not only share the good news, which means there's content, right? But he said, I also share my life as well. How many of you know we got to be spiritual mamas and papas to each other? And some of you, are all, you're all in different seasons this morning. Some of you are young people. Some of you are more seasoned saints. Some of you are new believers. Some of you might be here today and you, you've maybe never surrendered your life to Christ. But listen to me. The goal is this, that we all share two things. We share what Jesus has done in our lives with somebody else. How many of you know you can do that? Wave at me if you can do that. You share what Christ has done in you with somebody else. And then you share your life. Which means it's not just talk. It means we show up. We love. We serve. We care for people. Uh, and how many of you know, if you want to make the biggest impact in somebody's life, want, show up when they're at their lowest point. Show up when they're at their most pain. Show, show up when they're the most lonely. Show up when they feel the most abandoned. Show up and be Jesus there, and you'll see God do amazing things, and you'll make a huge impact. So we're going uh, to shift in the way we share. How about this, number four, gift activating. This is what Pastor Andrew shared a few weeks back, a shift in blessing. We're going to move from seeking God's blessing just for me to praying for God's blessing on you. You know, this is a great shift. If the church would spend more time praying and blessing than criticizing and murmuring and judging, how many think we see better fruit? How many you know people respond so much better to being loved than being criticized? And so let's be blessers. Let's be people that look to activate what's in other people. How about this? Let's be people that are lifter-uppers and not squashers, all right? Not people that, that put down, but let's be people that lift up. Uh, life is too short to be around a bunch of folks that are nothing but downers. And let me just tell you this, the, the, the culture of the local church should not be a downer. I need some help this morning. I know it's raining, but I got up earlier than you, I guarantee it. We need, we need to be people that celebrate people, lift people up, encourage people, bless people, activate the gifts in other people. And then lastly, Pastor Terry did such a great job of talking about kingdom building. This is a shift in counting. It means we move from the focus being on our thing at Living Stones to, to what is God's thing in the earth. How I many of you know we're a part of a massive movement that's taking place in planet earth right now? Jesus Christ is winning. In the game of life, Jesus is winning. People are coming to know Christ all around the nations of the world, and we've already seen the end result. We're on the winning team. So guess what? We're going to love people. We're going to help people. We're going to take up offerings for other people outside of Living Stones. We're going to help meet needs of other people and other ministries outside of Living Stones. Because how many of you know if we take the seed and we eat it, that's the rest of the seed. But if we take the seed and we sow it, guess what happens? God multiplies it. So how many of you will agree with me that 
Even though we have limitations in our lives, the kingdom of God has no limitations. And we can either live in our own limitations or we can step out and we can live in the supernatural uh, kingdom of God. I'd rather live in the supernatural kingdom of God. It's a lot more exciting because God can supersize what we need. And God can do things. Here's what I want you to see. Most Americans have a view of life like a pie. If I cut the pie in 12 pieces and I give Jerry one piece of pie, then that means I only have 11. If I give you a piece, that means I only have 10. If I give it away to all of you, it means I have nothing left. But how many of you know that's not the way God's kingdom works? God's kingdom works that when I give away one piece of pie, I get another whole pie back. This is really good in an election season because most people don't vote their values, they vote their pocketbooks. And this is the way we think. If, if I give my money away to that situation over there, this situation over here, then I'm not going to have any left. Or if, if this group gets blessed, then our group gets stolen from or whatever. That's not kingdom thinking. Kingdom thinking is God is big enough to multiply whatever we have as we give it to him and as we allow him to take control of it. I want to start us moving in supernatural thinking because how many know God's vision for this house is big? And it's bigger than what we currently can think about. It's much bigger than that. So we've got to get our brains around that. So here's the deal. Multiplication, thinking, permission giving, disciple multiplying, gift activating, kingdom building. These are all hero making practices, but none of them will happen if we don't have a culture that's committed to, to building hero makers. In other words, if your culture's not in place, you can, you can aspire to do all kinds of great things, and none of them will happen. Because that's the power of culture. And I want to talk to you this morning about why, what culture is and why it's so important. How many of you know you can go out to two different fast food restaurants, and I won't mention names, but you can go to one fast food restaurant, and the kid behind the counter is irritated that you ordered food. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? I had a true situation, all right? I brought a busload of young people into a fast food restaurant when I was taking them on a youth event. I should have received a free lunch. They, they should have rolled out the red carpet. This guy just brought us 50, you know, kids buying a bunch of junk food. I should have been celebrated. I went up to the counter. I said, I'm the bus driver. Normally, bus drivers get something free in life, all right? Bus drivers with a bunch of kids bringing hundreds of dollars worth of business. The person looked at me. I kid you not, like, you are from hell itself. I mean, that's what I felt. <laughs> like, you're the reason I have to work now. All right? And how many of you know you can go to another restaurant not too far down the road, and when you ask them for something, they say, it's my pleasure. In fact, I guarantee you just to have fun with them sometimes and see how many times you can get them to say, it's my pleasure, because they're trained no matter what request. It's my pleasure. And not only it's my pleasure in word, but it's my pleasure in deed. You know what I'm talking about. What's the difference? It's called culture. How many of you know you can walk in two different churches and experience two different things. You can walk in one church and you swear to God you're in a, you're in a funeral home. <laughs> and how many of you know when you walk in there and you thought you're at church and it feels like a funeral home, get out! Get out. <laughs> because you might die if you stay there very long. And then you walk in other places and you're like, whoa, what is going on? There's something happening here. There's like music playing and there's smiling people and they're actually happy. And what is the difference in those two places? They both have church out on their, on their marquee. What's the difference? It's called culture. It's called in the environment. How many of you know in your marriage there's a culture? 
How many of you know when you have a good culture in your marriage, it produces great things? When you have a toxic culture in your marriage, it produces death. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Let me personalize it even more. How many of you know there's a culture inside of your own heart? And some of you are like this. Man, I don't know why I just can't create a good life-giving culture in my marriage. Look at your own heart because if your heart is toxic and unhealthy, then you cannot produce a healthy culture in any of your relationships. You know, and I've known people before, they're like, man, you know, everybody and that bird and that bird and that person and that person and that church and this group and that. And I'm like, you, you just identified like 100 groups of people you can't get along with. What's the common denominator? <laughs> God help us. If I'm not healthy in here, how can I ever create a healthy culture outside of me wherever I go? How I many you know work environments are either healthy or they're toxic? Some work environments are life-giving. People, people rise. The business prospers. Other places are toxic. Everybody's at each other's throat. That's what culture does. In fact, I love this definition of culture by Irwin McManus. He said, culture is spontaneous, repeated patterns of behavior. I love that. Spontaneous, repeated patterns of behavior. In other words, your culture is going to be shaped by who you are and what you do, not by what you say. And how many of you know the kingdom of God wants to become so much a part of our hearts that we act like Jesus by default? Let me say that one again. Spontaneous, repeated patterns of behavior. I want to begin to act like Jesus like it's second nature to me. That I don't react to offense, I don't get angry, I don't carry bitterness. Those are all part of the kingdom of darkness. That's not who I am. That's not the kingdom of heaven. Amen? And so I want to learn how to create a culture inside of me and a culture inside of we that looks like heaven. Not just we talk about it, we are it based on what we value, based on how we talk, based upon how we live, based upon how we act, based upon what we reinforce. You know, let me just share this with you. This this was in my quiet time this morning, Titus chapter 3. People causing division among you, give them a first and second warning. After that, have nothing to do with them. That's in the Bible. Then we say, well, we're just supposed to love everybody. No, we're not. When you come into wherever it is that you come into, there's a culture there. This is heaven's culture here. Did you all know that? And when people are constantly causing uproar, the Bible says leadership should go to them and talk to them one time. And then they do it again. Well, we go the second mile. But if there are people in our midst who are constantly creating a toxic culture, God says, have nothing to do with them, and don't let them stay in the culture. That's in the Bible. You know why that's in the Bible? Because the culture produces life, or the culture produces death, and how many of you know God is serious about blessing people? God's serious about helping people. God's serious about loving people. God wants people lost and far from him to come into a culture that actually looks and feels like heaven itself. And that's why he says, hey, if you got folks that aren't going along with the program, move them on. Now, fortunately, I'm just, anybody that's new here today, like, oh, my gosh, what kind of church is, <laughs> pastor, that, that's not, hey, Marion, relax, buddy. It, in all the years that I've been pastoring, I can count on one hand how many times I've had to do this, but I'll just tell you this, we do it. And the reason we do it 
is because culture matters. We want you to be loved here. We want you to be encouraged here. We want you to be treated like kings and queens here. We want you to be served well here. We want you to be, to be uh, in a place that is a greenhouse of growth. Are you with me? That will not happen. That will not happen if we allow our culture to be toxic and poisoned. So culture matters. Culture is important. And listen to me. When you have a winning culture, uh, culture carries you across the vic- to victory. I was talking with Roman this morning about about football, all right, because he's a great football commentator. All right, anyway, there are some cultures in sports that they trip over themselves to lose. They, they, they are perennial losers because they haven't figured out what winning looks like. And then there's other cultures, the teams always have a way, even when it's the ugliest performance you've ever seen, they will find some way of winning. How does that happen? It's because they've developed a winning culture, and they almost win by default. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm getting ready to launch this into a series next week. I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's about getting our swagger back in the church and learning how to function as the winning people that God's called us to be, all right? That's culture. This culture needs to be a winning culture. When we find obstacles, challenges, things in front of us, what do we do? We just determine we're going to win. We just determine we're going to overcome. We just determine we have what it takes to get the job done. Are, am I speaking to the right crowd this morning? You know, when the culture's right, you know, culture's never neutral. It's either a, it's either a headwind in our face or it is a, a tailwind blowing us forward in momentum. And, you know, we've been in different seasons in the life of our church. There's been seasons when, man, the wind was blowing, a north wind blowing 1,000 miles an hour right in our face. Those are rough seasons to go through. Maybe, you've, maybe you're in a life season like that right now. There are other times when the wind of heaven is blowing at your back, and how many of you know everything is easy? I prefer the latter. How about you? <laughs> I prefer the latter. I would like the tailwind of heaven blowing in my sails. But listen, sometimes we get the headwind because we have a cruddy culture. Let's do everything on our part to facilitate the tailwinds of heaven to blow us forward into God's purposes for our life. Now look with me. I want to read in Matthew 13. Jesus is sharing a bunch of parables here, and I'm just going to share one with you. Matthew 13, verse 3. It's talking about the importance of culture. Look with me, uh, starting in verse 3. Matthew 13, 3. Listen, Jesus said, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across the field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and they ate them. The footpath was a well-walked-on place. It was packed down. It was hard. Uh, the, the, there was no room for the seed to germinate or to take root because it, it was so hardened. It was like concrete because of all the, the foot walking and the path that had been worn in the ground. Look at verse 5. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. So here again, we had a good start. The, the soil was shallow on the top, but once you got beneath it, the soil was really bad. Lots of rocks. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But look at this. As soon as the, uh, the plants sprouted, it says they wilted under the hot sun because they didn't have deep roots and they died. Other seeds fell among thorns. Man, they grew up. They started doing great, but look what happens. The thorns choked out the tender plants because the thorns were competing with the same nutrients. And look at verse 8. Still others fell on fertile soil. Everybody say fertile soil. And they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. And Jesus said this, anybody with ears to hear should listen and understand. 
Now, Jesus went on to explain that. There's a personal application. There's a corporate application. I'm looking at it from this point this morning. I'm looking at it in terms of culture. Notice the seed was all the same. How many know there's no problem with the seed? The seed is the word of God. The soil is the problem. And whether it's a personal problem, like my own heart, uh, I can be full of compromise. My heart could be hard toward the Word of God. My, I could have seeds spring up, but I could have no discipleship, no support system around me, and I will. How many of you know we've all known people like this? Maybe you've been one. Sometimes people, they, they're sitting in the same service as you are, hearing the same message as you are. One person is weeping and broken and being so encouraged, and the other person is sitting there like this. What's the difference? The culture of their heart. The soil. I mean, you know, there's never a problem with the seed. The problem is always with the soil. What happens when the Word of God falls on good soil? 30, 60, 100 fold. I mean, you know, that's called multiplication. Not just addition. That's multiplication. Crazy multiplication. How many of you would like a 30, 60, 100 fold return on your investment? Come on, there's not a person in this room that wouldn't be scraping up as much as we could find to invest in a return like that. What's the point? The, the point is this. The culture is so critical. How many of you know, it, it, in case some of you haven't been aware, our culture in America right now is slightly toxic. There, there, there's a lot of stuff going on. We could talk about a lot of different things, but I think it could all be summarized under one big banner, toxic. And how many of you know when you're in a toxic environment, Take a look at your own body. When your body's out of line, what is it, too much alkaline, too, uh, too, too acidic? It creates an environment where cancer spreads and forms. What's the problem? It's the, it's the problem is the environment in your body is, is, is attracting disease. How I many of you know it can happen in a nation? It can happen in your marriage. It can happen in your home. It can happen in you. It's culture. Culture's important. We've got to pay attention to how we create good culture. Now, let me give you another example here of toxic culture. A little bit later in Matthew 13, drop on down to verse 53. Perfect example of toxic culture. It says, when Jesus had finished telling these stories and illustrations, part of which was the one I just read to you, he left that part of the country, and where did he go? He went back home. He went to Nazareth. And when he taught there, the Bible says, in the synagogue, everybody was amazed. And this is what they said. Where does he get this wisdom and power to do miracles? But look at their response in verse 55. Then they scoffed. They said, he's just a carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother, and we know his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. All his sisters, in fact, they live right here. We know them. We go to school with them. Where did, they learn, where did he learn all these things? And look at the response in verse 57. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Now, who's this? who are they talking about here? They're talking about God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. They could not get their brain around that being God Almighty, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And because he was a mental, intellectual stumbling block to them, the Bible says that out of the toxicity of their own hearts, look what happens next. Look what it says about Jesus. This, this is stunning to me. And then Jesus told them a prophet is, is honored everywhere except in his hometown among his own family. And so he did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. This is crazy. God was limited by the environment that he was in. I and mean, let this just sink in. God, did God want to do amazing things in that community? Absolutely. Did God want to heal people? Absolutely. Did God want to set people free? You know he did. Did God want to bring heaven to earth right there in that place? Absolutely. 
But the Bible says Jesus could only do a couple of miracles, a couple of measly miracles. And why could he, why could he not do anything? Because there was a toxic culture of unbelief and scoffing and cynicism. How many, I want to encourage us here today. Let, let's not let a root of cynicism creep into our hearts or that scoffing kind of attitude, been there, done that, got the t-shirt kind of thing, or this attitude of, yeah, 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 I know, what, I know what the Bible says, but you know what? My dad preached a great sermon one time. He said, leave all your butts at the door, all right? You guys missed that one. That was a good one. <laughs> leave all your butts at the door. That wasn't the most seeker-sensitive, you know, guest-friendly sermon, but we all know what he was talking about. We all say, yeah, I believe this, but, yeah, I know God can do that, but, 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 leave your butt at the door, all right? And when you come into church, believe God. Nothing is impossible for God. The toxicity of those kind of attitudes creates an environment where the Holy Spirit does not even show up. Let me read one more passage to you here. Uh, Look with me at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 through 32. Get rid of all bitterness. Why? Because it's toxic. Get rid of rage. Why? It's toxic. Let me just say, I was with a group of men. The one thing most men have in common in our fallenness is we've, we have an anger problem. Don't raise your hand, but I'm just speaking for a lot of men. That's something that we deal with. Short fuse, rage. I mean, you know, anger and rage in your marriage and home is toxic. It's poison. It kills things. And some of you have been the victims of that. I know I've had to work through that in my own in my own life, in my own marriage, where I've damaged my wife, where I've damaged my kids through my anger. Look at the next one. Harsh words. Slander. Using our mouths to hurt people, as well as other types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind. Be tender-hearted. Forgive each other as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. What's Paul talking about there? He's talking about this. How in the world are we going to create an atmosphere for God to do unbelievable things if the environment is poison? How many of you know one way we quench the Holy Spirit is by acting in those ways mentioned above? And I don't know about you, but there, this, is, this should be goal number one on Sunday morning. We want to create an environment where the Lord's presence is welcome, where the Holy Spirit shows up, where Jesus walks in the front door and says, this is a great place. What can I do here to bless these people? And how many of you know the biggest quencher of the Holy Spirit is when we do that stuff right there? A church full of bitterness. I'm telling you, Jesus does not show up at a church full of bitterness. Jesus isn't anywhere near a church that's full of rage and anger and people fighting and kicking and screaming and acting in ungodly ways. He's not even near that kind of place. And how many of you know, how do we create a culture where it says they're kind, tenderhearted, forgiving? How do we create that culture? Where does it start? Yeah, Greg's pointing to his own heart. Or you can point to your neighbor, that's okay too. But how many of you know, you bring the culture with you. So let me ask you this question. If 95% of you this morning woke up, spent time with Jesus, worshipped him, told him how much you loved him, dealt with your own heart, got clean, uh, and came here ready to worship, what do you think the atmosphere would be like? (laughs) It would be awesome. Let me just ask you this question. Who's responsible for the atmosphere? In fact, I'll just tell you this. If a pastor has been at a church for any length of time, the atmosphere is a direct reflection of him. Which is scary. Because you know where the atmosphere starts? 
with your leaders. Not just this one, your leaders. In fact, if you're in this room and you're a life group leader, you serve in a ministry, guess what? The atmosphere of heaven starts with you. And if you don't bring it, it ain't showing up. And so I'm committed because as your senior pastor, it's starting with me. Help me out. What kind of atmosphere should be in your pastor's heart? Any ideas? I should be loving. Hold me accountable for that. Because you know what? I want to be loving. I want to ooze with the love of God. Can you all help me? Should I be full of unforgiveness? Nope, I can't, I can't, I can't tolerate unforgiveness. Which means your pastor's got to be a great forgiver. All right, now when I say help me with that, that doesn't mean make sure you try to offend me so that I can learn to forgive you. All right, it's not, it's not what I'm... All right, how many of you think I should be full of faith? How many of you think I should love my wife? How many of you think I should walk in peace and not be freaking out about everything? How do you think the joy of the Lord should be in my heart? Genuine joy of the Lord. So that when you're around me, you feel happier, not sad. See, how many of you know, I'm just like you, though. I'm a fallen, weak person who has been redeemed by God and full of the Holy Spirit. But you know what? I'd take a responsibility that when you come into this place to worship God or in any of our gatherings, you know what? If you're around one of our leaders, we're going to act like heaven and not act like hell. All right? I mean, you know, that's, it starts with us. So I'm telling all you all within the sound of my voice this morning, let's make sure when we show up, it's game time, so to speak, we show up and we show up with hearts that are good, which means I got to do some heart work throughout the week. I got to deal with me. I got to make sure I come in here and I'm clean. I got to make sure I'm walking in unity with my wife. I got to make sure my, I'm, I'm loving my kids. All right, you with me? I got to take personal responsibility for that. You know, I'm looking at Andy over there. Uh, Andy works in the medical field, and, and I know Andy, and I know what he does. I've seen what he brings to the workplace. He's in a place where people are sick, people are weak, people are dying, people are in pain. How many of you know that's not the atmosphere of heaven? In fact, that's a depressing atmosphere. You know what he does when he comes into that place? He brings joy and peace and faith and love and kindness and tenderness. I've seen him bring his guitar in and lead worship uh, at one gathering he invited me to. He was leading worship with all the nurses and everybody uh, in one of the side rooms. What was he doing? He's bringing heaven into a place where people are really challenged and discouraged and depressed. But how many of you know he could easily come under that spirit of that place? It's a fight to choose to live in the atmosphere and the culture of the kingdom of God. It is not something that happens by accident. It is something that requires a choice in our hearts every single day to choose to love like Jesus, live like Jesus, believe like Jesus, love people, um, focus on other people's needs. When, how many of you know, every time you're focused on somebody else's needs, I know full well you have your own needs, and I do too. I mean, every time, every time I'm encouraging you to give, I'm encouraging myself to give, and I'm looking at my own checking account. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But every time I do that, it's a choice. I'm going to say, am I going to live in the kingdom or am I going to live in my kingdom? Am I going to live in his kingdom or am I going to live in my kingdom? And I have to make that choice. You do too. But I'm just telling you, if we want to be a culture of hero makers, the atmosphere needs to be like heaven. We need to be embodying what we're preaching, believing in people, encouraging people, loving people, investing in people, sowing in people. That's got to become what we do second nature here at Living Stones. Let me end with this. All right, what time we got? All right, we're good. You got, this service ends at 1030, right? Just checking with you all. All right. <laughs> Hero makers need to know what time church ends. All right. 
Acts chapter 2. <laughs> hey, I'm just excited. I actually, I'm waking up at the normal time, all right, after a week of being uh, uh, jet-lagged. I'm glad my brain is working almost at half, all right? All right, so that should be encouragement to you all. All right, Acts chapter 2. Let me end with this. Let's take a look at kingdom culture. Every believer, everybody say every believer. Turn to the person next to you and say he's talking about you because every means you too. All right, just tell them that. Every believer was faithfully devoted to following the teachings of the apostles. So everyone's engaged. Everybody's fully devoted, consecrated, obedient. Look what happens next. Their hearts are mutually linked to one another, which means there's all kinds of love and sharing taking place. They're sharing communion. They're coming together regularly for prayer. So we're having times of fellowship. We're having times where we eat together. We have times where we pray together. And look what happened in verse 43. A deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers were in fellowship as one body, and they shared with one another whatever they had. Isn't this amazing? I've heard people say stuff like this, you know, man, I wish we could get back to the glory of the early church, you know, look at all the cool stuff that was happening. Um, how many of you would like to see that? I mean, moving with signs and wonders, moving with the glory of God. Uh, how many of you believe Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? And how many of you know sometimes we better look at our culture? What was happening there? Well, notice everybody was engaged. Nobody was on the sidelines. Everybody's engaged. Everybody's using their gifts. Everybody's serving. Everybody loving. Great fellowship. Some great meals. Some great prayer times. Notice they were consecrated to the teaching of God's word. They were obeying the word of God. And I want you to see this. It says they were in fellowship as one body. Now this is amazing. The, the key word you see in the early church, in fact, I think in the first four chapters of, of the book of Acts, ten different times the word unity is either spoken of or, or alluded to. Phrases like, they were in one accord, they had one heart, they had one purpose, they had one spirit, they were all united in one thought. And, and I'll end with this. Look at verse 47 on the screen. They were continually filled with praises to God, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were coming to life, meaning coming to life spiritually. They were being born again. They were being saved. I mean, you know, that's the, that's the New Testament gold standard right there for what God wants to do. Our job is what? Continually filled with praise. How many of you know, and I encourage people to do this, if you want to change the culture of your house, why don't you start putting on some worship music? It's really hard to have a, a, a full-blown drag-out fight with your spouse when in the background is, you're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. That's why I hate my wife. That's why I think you're a jerk, because he's worthy of You know, you can't do that. Some of you need to have this music going 24-7 just so you don't slip while you're sleeping, you know, backslide while you're sleeping. We don't let our atmosphere be neutral. And how many know you certainly don't let your atmosphere be toxic? Watch what's coming into your house. But when you fill your house with worship and praise, guess what the Bible says? When, when, when the praises of his people are going up, what does the Lord do? He inhabits the praises of his people. Our job is to release the environment of heaven. When we do, God shows up. Isn't this good? I am hungry for more of God. 
which means I start with me, I deal with my toxicity, then I make sure that I'm a happy camper full of heaven, and guess what happens? I influence the culture of my marriage. You're like, man, you're acting like heaven. You're acting like you're saved. You're acting like Jesus. And then I bubble over to you. You bubble over to me. We start having a little heaven showing up in our home. Anybody, this makes sense, right? And then it spills over to our children. And then we can't keep it in our home. Wherever we go, it starts bubbling over us. And guess what happens? I change the environment. How many of you know we're called to change the environment everywhere we go? We're called to bring the atmosphere of heaven everywhere we go. And then guess what happens when a bunch of heaven-filled people come together? Oh, my gosh. Praises go up. God shows up. God begins to add to the church daily those whom he's saving. Now, let me ask you a question. If you are looking for a place to entrust your children, like maybe you're going out of town and you're, you have young children and you're looking for an environment in which to place them, do you put an ad in the newspaper? No. no. Why don't you put an ad in the newspaper? Because that environment is of top priority to you. So you're not looking for in a help wanted ad. You're looking to people that you know are absolutely trustworthy because you're entrusting some of your most precious prized possessions into their care. Am I speaking the truth here? Let me ask you this question. If God wants to send new believers to be loved, mended, trained, sent, uh, grow, multiply them, what kind of church do you think he wants to send them to? A toxic place? A funeral parlor place? A place where the family's always having fights and they don't even know that there's new people because they're fighting with each other all the time? Let me just tell you, the best time to preach the sermon is, is when that's not the, the case, so I just want you to know we're all pretty happy around here. This is not a, I'm gonna preach at you all to stop fighting the message because uh, as far as I know, we're behaving ourselves pretty well. But, uh, but how many of you know, why would, why would we want to send our kids into an atmosphere where where the parents are at each other's throats and where nobody gets along and uh, where everybody's neglecting one another. Doesn't make much sense, does it? So how about this? I think that the multiplication that God wants to do happens spontaneously when we just take care of the toxic levels in our own heart and we start loving people. And then we start loving people together and then Jesus loves the way we love people and he comes and loves on us and guess what happens? There's this holy momentum that happens which is really incredible. Anybody want to be a part of an earth-shaking movement on planet Earth before Jesus comes? I do. Uh, I don't want to just go to church, just preach nice sermons, go home, whatever. I want to be a part of an earth-shaking movement. Uh, and I just believe if we get back to focusing on culture, God can do things that are just going to blow our minds. So stand to your feet with me, and here's what I want to do. I want to have our leadership team come forward. I know a lot of them are teaching classes right now. Uh, but if you're here this morning, come on up. We want to pray for you. And this is, this is the, the, the invitation this morning. Is I just want us to deal, first of all, with our own toxicity. And if there's something in your heart that you, you, you know, how many of you know you can never preach a message on forgiveness too many times because we always deal with situations where we've got to go back and just say, I need to release this. If you're bitter today and you're rehearsing whatever somebody did to you over and over again, guess what? This is a morning. You need to get the toxic stuff out of your heart. If there's something going on in a relationship that's close to you that's not healthy, uh, man, get your own, start with you, get your own heart right. And so we want to pray with you, okay? Deal with the toxicity in you. But let's just believe God, too, as I close in prayer. Let's invite the atmosphere of heaven into us, into our relationships, into this church, and, and let's believe and let's be committed to being an atmosphere where hero makers 
are raised up and where we go out and touch a lot of people and impact a lot of people. So, Lord, we preached it, but, God, we don't want this just to be another sermon series. We file away. God, we want this to be our culture. Help us, Lord, to do this. Help us to get our eyes off of ourselves. Help us to love really well. Help us to believe in people. Help us to trust you, God, to do the impossible. Lord, may the supernatural presence of the kingdom of God be tangibly in this place. And Lord, may you do things even this morning that are beyond our wildest dreams. You know, you might be here today and you don't know Jesus and and you're like, man, I need to get my life right with God. You know, I encourage you, don't leave. Come on up here. Let us pray with you. Uh, It's real simple. We won't embarrass you. We just want to pray with you. If God is moving in your heart, some of you are, are stuck right now because you're in a relationship that's painful and you're dealing again with just ongoing forgiveness. I encourage you, keep going low. Keep asking for God's grace and mercy to help you deal with where you're stuck, okay? Let's deal with the poison in our hearts right now. Lord, heal us. Set us free. Unify us like never before. And God, do great things in and through this Living Stones Church family. We love you, Lord, and we bless you in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen.